Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing good. Yeah, I just want to thank the team that put all this together. Uh, you know who you guys are, who weeks in, weeks out uh, doing these things. It's just so special to be able to come and, and worship the Lord together, honestly. Uh, just that moment that the, the worship team led us in, uh, just praising the Lord, just you can... I don't know if I was the only one feeling it, but you can just feel when like God is connecting and, and saying something and, and moving, and it's it's beautiful to do that as a as a family as we physically get together. Um, yeah, f- to introduce myself, my name is Andy. I'm a part of the leadership team here at Oceanside Church, but also uh, take on the visionary role of uh, the leadership team as well. Uh, from from Micah, I think just about eight nine weeks ago, the church. Uh, Mike and Deb's handed the church over, and it's just been an amazing privilege uh, to take that on and to step into that role and to, uh, to continue to, to, to work and uh, seek out what God has for this place. And it's been a real privilege as well, opening up uh, the book of Philippians before the church. Just like, man, I need a nice, encouraging letter from Paul. I was like, I'm not going to pick 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm not going to pick Galatians. Uh, Philippians will be an encouragement. Um, and it has been an encouragement I, I joke a little bit about, but it, it, you know, we wanted to pick out something that was going to encourage us as we go into the next se- season, as we're going to edify us. And we hope that you have learned what the book of Philippians is all about as, as we finish up this evening here. It's, it's helpful to know, you know, um, as we walk out our Christian faith, not just key, you know, scriptures that that shout out from the Bible. You know, you get those scriptures that we get on coffee cups that you print on t-shirts and all of that stuff. It's helpful to know those scriptures, but it's also helpful to know the narrative of what was happening in the New Testament or what the, the narrative was as we introduce Philippians to you. Because as we go through, you know, our own narratives, then those verses come alive in different ways as we see and we sort of uh, echo what the, what the early church was going through as we go through different seasons in life. And uh, yeah, it's cool to finish up this series right before we enter into the Christmas season. I see one Christmas sweater, sweater right over there. Good job. Keep on wearing it for the rest of December. Um, I encourage you all, wear your best Christmas attire out to this place. And uh, it's, it's a good thing. And, and today we're, we're finishing up Philippians in uh, chapter 4 after the amazing message that Wes brought us last week, but in Philippians 4 from verse 10. And if you know anything about this, uh, Paul sort of finishes up the book of Philippians talking about being content. Then he moves into, you know, how we're sort of generous out of being content. And as we were sort of like looking at this scripture just a few weeks ago, again, planning the final week of this message, I was like, wow, doesn't that just like beautifully fit into coming into the Christmas season as well? You don't need any presents. Just be content. That's the message for this morning. No, it's not the message for this morning. But it did get me thinking, right, about like how we're content in life, you know, what we're hungering for, uh, where our needs are, where our wants are, where our, you know, desires are, all these different things as we come into it. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting that the Apostle Paul finish, finishes up this encouraging letter with pointing the church back to being content into what they've already received in Christ Jesus. Because I think... That is the condition of the human heart, isn't it, sometimes? The fallen human heart is that we can want to get back and we can just slip and slide a little bit and then the desires of our, of our fleshly heart sort of get, get a bit stronger than what God has given us already. 
You know, I remember as a kid, I don't know if anybody else has this, but in, in England growing up, we had this uh, store called Argus. And it was a store where it didn't have any, it was like basically a warehouse with a shop front. And you would get sent home a catalog. They would send them all out. They're about that thick, little tiny glossy pages that you could flip through. And you could literally, it was like Amazon, but before Amazon. Did you guys have that here? Maybe the Sears catalog? Was that something like that? Nate's nodding in the affirmative. Anybody under 20 years old is like, what are you talking about? Um, you just do everything online. But I remember those catalogs. Those catalogs are imprinted heavily on my mind as I think about Christmas. And actually, I, I now like enjoy picking up those catalogs uh, for my kids. They're not as thick as they used to be, but you can still go to Toys R Us and be like, hey, kids, look at this. Look what, look what amazing stuff they've invented and all of this stuff. I'm not going to buy you much of it, but look at it. It's great. And I used to do that as a kid, flip through this magazine, go right to the back where the toy section was, and they had a really good toy section. And you could flip through, and I remember cutting out all those things, uh, the things that I wanted. And if there was something I wanted on one side and the other side, I had to really think, be like, okay, which one do I want more? Which one am I going to sort of scrapbook for my parents so they know exactly what I want for Christmas this, this season? Does anybody, did anybody grow up doing that? Man, I used to love doing that. And then the Realtor.ca app came out, and I was like, ooh, this is the new book that I get to flip through. <laughs> As you sort from highest to lowest. I've talked about that before, and I was like, not good for the soul to see how uh, more expensive houses there are around from you. Um, but there's that thing that we, we love to sort of, there's something in our desire, especially when we come to Christmas, where we start thinking about all that we want, all that we need, and uh, this just fits really well. So open your Bibles up to Philippians uh, chapter 4. Again, we're going uh, just beyond what Wes uh, uh, brought last week about you know, being thankful in the Lord and how that deals with anxiety and pain in different ways. Uh, yeah, but Philippians 4, maybe I'll open there and not just read it off the computer screen. But in Philippians 4, uh, uh, verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that I, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I have in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you remember anything about the intro to the book of Philippians, Again, he's ending here by doing a few thank yous. Again, just before the scriptures, that uh, chapter 4 really begins with thanking different people, thanking the church. The, the Philippian church was a church that was partnering with Paul, and that was important for him because if you remember, he was in prison during this time. And if you remember as well, like being a Roman prisoner uh, under, sorry, being a prisoner in Rome, uh, under the Roman authorities, uh, you were basically invited to stay in a locked room, right? And you had to support yourself, you had to feed yourself, people had to bring you clothes, food, all of that stuff. So it was really important that people sent you funds or sent you things so that you could have provision. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that he was rejoicing greatly that they had received, that had, they have uh, revived their concern for him. And indeed, he was talking about they, they didn't at one point have a, an opportunity to feel that concern, but now they had it. 
And then verse 11, Paul starts challenging this thing of the, the, the sort of thank you that he's already begun. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. That is the first thing that the scripture has for us today. And again, you're sort of looking at this and it's like, not that I'm speaking of being in need. They're like, what are, you, what are you actually talking about, Paul? You are actually in need. It's actually okay for you to say that you need something at this time. But in verse 11, Paul starts on by thanking them and then he's going to move into teaching them with this bridge saying, actually, thank you for what you've given me, but I don't actually feel very needy before God. And Paul's running away from this idea of his need defining him, of his need becoming his identity in that moment. And I think the first challenge for us here this morning, when you're in a season of need, that can become your identity. You can see everything in your life through that need. Am I right? When you're, and it's, it's, it's easy to forget when you're, when you're not in a need, you know. It's, it's easy to forget, but when the, when the paycheck stops rolling in, or when the, when the job stops, or whatever it is in your life, or maybe it's a physical need in your own body, it can easily become your defining thing. The first thing in your mind in the morning, the last thing on your mind as you try and fall asleep, and it becomes that conversation piece that is constantly before you as you talk with the world around you. You'll know if you're being defined by this need because it's that first thing that when people haven't seen you for a week or so, they'll be like, how's it going with this? You know, you're being defined by that chief need in your life. And Paul quickly turns, I believe, as I'm looking at this by saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm just writing this letter because I'm, I want to thank you for what you've given, or not that I would chiefly be, you know, have that banner written over me that I'm in need. And then he uses that to sort of edify the church. And he says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And he says, I know how to be brought low. Man, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, the person who wrote this letter that we believe is inspired and divine, now becomes the divine word of God, he, know, he knew what it was like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23, he, he sort of recounts some of it where he talks about imprisonments with countless beaten, beatings, often near death. This is talking about how he was spreading the gospel. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's when they actually throw stones at you and try to kill you. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Three times shipwrecked. I would stop having Paul on my ship at that time. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he says, apart from all of those physical things, apart from those other things, there is the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for all the church that he's preaching to as well. Man, could you imagine if someone opened up Connect Group with that? Prayer times, like, hey guys, pray for me. I've been shipwrecked three, I've been all of this stuff. You'd be like, dude, something is wrong in your life, deeply. You have angered God. But not with Paul. We know for Paul, actually, he was doing the mission of God. 
And this is a challenging thing as we think about and as we ask ourselves, and as that, that sort of verse 13 where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the same person who wrote, I can do all things through Christ has strengthened me, is the same one who said all that stuff has happened to me as well. Challenging stuff. Paul says, I also know how to abound. And this is probably echoing back to when Paul was one of probably the most significant people in his own community. He was a part of the religious elite. He was a part of the Pharisaical group. Um, again, in the early church, he was, he was responsible for rounding up Christians and putting them to death because he was part of the religious elite. He knew what it was like to be important. He was probably paid well because he was important, and he was probably revered by the people around him, not only in fear by what he could do, but by what he could teach as well. Upon him, he studied under these amazing people who were very important in their society at the time, and he would have been looked to. He knows what it was like to be brought low. He knows what it was like to be hungry, and he also knows how to abound as well. And what Paul is trying to outline here, and what Paul is trying to get to, is that physical possessions and provisions does not define sort of his spiritual life of how he sees himself. When he says, not that I am in need, even though in the physical he is very much in need, even though for some of us here this morning, even just hearing little bits or pieces already, there is definite need in the house here this morning. He's saying, but supernaturally, I am not in need at all. And he's going to turn and he's going to edify the church as his final piece by saying, this is what it means to be content. This is what I know. And so just three points before we get to the main point of verse 13. Three small points. The first one is, being content is not the natural order of things. Or I should say, being content is not the fallen natural order of things. Maybe before the fall in the Garden of Eden where the world was perfect, we would have been content. That's, that's true. That would have happened. But since the fall, being content with life is not the natural order of things. Paul starts by saying, I have learned. And that's important for us here, the here, here this morning, church, with some of the later challenges that are going to come up from, from Jesus in the scriptures here. I have learned. It's the opposite of human nature. It's the opposite even of evolutionary theory, right? Sorry. Contentment is the opposite even of evolutionary theory. You know, if you, if you believe in evolution and all of that stuff, you would know that it's the opposite goal of evolution than to be content. It's also the opposite goal of like any Fortune 500 company, right? The opposite thing, indeed, if you're a shareholder in the company, you want that company to earn more and more and more money. It's built into the very fabric of our economic system. It's built into our, into our hearts as fallen, as fallen people. It's built into nature, and it's built even into the economic systems as well. And, you know, we need to know that if we are going to be content, like Paul is content, that it's actually something we have to learn. It's actually not something that we can just pray about and have. One of the um, commentators said that this is like, the, the, the verb here means it was learned by experience. That even just like a muscle that gets flexed is like you can't even be content unless you've had the opposite experiencing challenging that muscle in your life. Who knows 
from your experience with, you know, dealing with other people from your relationships in the world, that actually some of the most content people in life are some of the people who have the very least or who've had a very rough go in life. Who knows that? I know that. I've seen that. Even as if you've ever traveled to different parts of the world and you've been part of churches in the third world and different things like this, you, you get to experience a church that is far more happy in Christ at times than sometimes what we are. It's just like, what is the correlation between having this experience of dependence and then becoming content on God? Becoming content is something that the Apostle Paul says, I have learned. That's point one, is that being content doesn't come naturally. Point number, t- to number two is that eternal content isn't found in earthly situations. And again, we can see that from from those people around us that battle different things. Even the Apostle Paul talked about things that existed within his body that were sort of pains him, that he pleaded with the Lord to remove, but the Lord kept there for various reasons. We know that in whatever situation, the, the Apostle Paul says, that in whatever situation, and the, I am challenged when I think about that, when he says, in whatever situation, Because there are a variety of situations, even just collected here in the room here this morning. If there's about 250 of us sitting down here right now, and you think about what you would go through in about 250 different weeks in your life, you know that there are people here this morning who are struggling with tremendous hardships, tremendous physical things in their body, tremendous financial things. And that's part of the reason why we're doing some of this stuff at Christmas, right? But Paul says that in whatever situation... So that our our physical things that we are going through aren't completely bound to this eternal position that we have within our hearts. And then point number three is that it takes continued practice. So what does he say? He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content And I love that as well, that he didn't actually say that in whatever situation, I am content. Like he had figured it out perfectly. No, actually, it almost seems like he's commanding himself again, I am to be content. Paul knows that because of the fallen nature, it's still inside of his body, that when the next next challenge arrives within his life, that he is again going to have to remind himself of these principles that says, no, actually, I can be content despite the current situation, despite how I would have picked something different, even though this is my lot in life right now, I can be content in, in Christ. I am to be content. It's something that is continued and takes continued practice. And Paul's reminding himself into the future to practice these things again. I'd say in the scriptures that are open before us here this morning, that these are very light and fluffy things to think about if we're doing well. (laughs) And so there's probably half of the room here this morning who have, you know, maybe read the scripture before they came to church, knowing that we were going to finish up Philippians today, and saw this scripture and thought, oh, that's a, that's a nice fluffy scripture. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty content. Thank you. That's awesome. And then there's another half of the room here this morning who actually are having the opposite experience in their lives, who are actually going through tremendous hardships, who are being tra- challenged at their very core of what this would mean to walk out fully. 
And I want to remind us again, the person talking to us here this morning, the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church, is someone who knows and who has been afflicted lots in life. Moving from 12 into verse 13. And this is where maybe we get to even call, you know, this, this preach here this morning, you know, something to do with the secret. You know, I, I thought like, oh, we could, based on the scripture here this morning, we could really make a good clickbaity, you know, thumbnail for the internet. The secret of being content. Paul talks about a secret here in verse 13. It's like, okay, what, what, what are you talking about here? Why do, we, why do we use this word secret? We don't like secrets. Let, let's flesh it out. But he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I feel like it's so interesting that the word secret there is used by the Apostle Paul. I have learned the secret. It almost doesn't sound like it's coming from the Bible. It almost sounds like it's coming from a magazine or a website, right? Like learn this hidden secret. You know, make sure you open this thing and find out what's inside. But maybe the Apostle Paul was talking to that, actually, this thing is so foreign and so hidden to how we normally experience life that actually this feels like a secret. And it can be like that as well. I remember, I think I shared two weeks ago about where I met my wife. We met in Mozambique. Um, I got the chance to live in South Africa for a year and travel up to Zimbabwe and then, and then meet her in Mozambique. Uh, not We met by chance. Um, but as we were living in those countries, I honestly never, ever wanted to go back to England after that. And I honestly never, ever wanted to live in a first world country after that as well. <laughs> because I had seen or I had been captivated by a group of believers who had a faith that seemed far superior to my own faith. Because at the time, if I could be honest, my faith and my feeling before God was built up on certain requirements that he was fulfilling into my life. You know, did I have the right relationships in my life? Did I have the right things in my life? Was I as popular as I thought I should be in my life? Did people respect me? All these other things as you can get into in your, in your late teens and going into your early 20s. You know, I had made for myself a God growing up in, you know, Western church that, you know, he was about fulfilling my needs and doing these other things. And I became captivated by a group of believers who were living in circumstances far different to what I grew up with by myself, who were completely content and some of the happiest people that I have ever been around to this day. Has anybody else had that experience? i got to say that after that, I told my parents, I said, I'm not coming home. Well, I might come home for some more money, but then I'm going to leave again. <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to be a, a sleepy Christian that I've been, I've been, feel like I've been asleep this whole time. And I know that even that perspective of, you know, the third world church has a better revelation of, of Christ in that way. That's an imperfect thought. That's not a perfect thought. That's not the reality of it. Um, but there is some truth there as well. That what people have because of need um, can blow up and magnify the view of Christ in them. And in that way, I, w I would say that I, I didn't come back from that place with the, with the knowledge, uh, with the perfect knowledge of what they experienced. I, I could say that I had actually just seen something that I wanted to have in my own life. But when I left that year and a half of, of, of being in, in Southern Africa, I certainly couldn't say that I possessed that thing. 
And when I came back to England and when, you know, youth group me had to share in my experiences, I was sort of sharing sort of a secondhand experience of what I had seen other believers live out in their faith. I've seen, I've seen what I think is an amazing church, but I, I don't know what it's like to live that just yet. And so it's interesting, right, that we can see it sometimes, but we cannot enter in. And it's interesting that Paul would use this word secret or this mysterious thing. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So that's a confusing part to begin with, especially for us in the West sometimes. And then verse 13, I feel like is even more confusing that Paul teams this subject of being content with verse 13. Because if you haven't read through Philippians in a while, you might forget where this particular verse fits in. But verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this is one of those awesome verses, and it's one of those coffee cup verses. It's like, it's such a good verse, we're going to put it on a t-shirt. It's such an amazing verse that we're going to put it on a coffee cup, or it's such an amazing verse, we are going to put it on your Instagram feed for you to read. And it's one of those verses that pretty much all of us here, if we've been sort of in the Christian culture for a little bit, that that once someone starts to mention that verse of like, oh, you could probably finish it off for them, right? Because it's amongst us. It's one that we pick out. It's a really awesome verse that makes us feel good. But the problem with coffee cup scripture sometimes is that it doesn't fully represent the teaching of what, the, of what Paul, in this case, is trying to get across to the people he's writing to. And the question for us here this morning is, why does, team, why does Paul team verse 13 with talking about knowing how to abound and knowing how to experience loss and knowing all the hard things that he suffered in life? And again, we, we remember back, like, so verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think growing up, I probably had that verse on my wall. I had like a, a wall in my, in my bedroom where I put verses that were really encouraging that I would, I would read before I left, left the house sometimes. I did that for a year or so. It was really good, really edifying thing. But that was probably one of those verses. And, you know, if you're facing a hard day, if you're facing a challenge, there's, there's nothing wrong by being edified and being encouraged by this verse. But we're also reading it in the context of Philippians as well. And we're also thinking, okay, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But, but hang on, Paul, you, you just said you, you know what it's like to be hungry. So if, if you could do all things through Christ who strengthened you, surely you shouldn't be hungry that much, right? Or if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, sh- surely you shouldn't be in prison right now. Maybe, maybe Jesus or should send an angel to break you out of prison like he did last time you were in Philippi. And earlier in Philippians chapter 1, verse, verse 21, we remember when Paul was wrestling with this thing as we opened up the f- book of Philippians, another famous verse where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what Paul was saying in chapter 1 is basically, no matter what happens out of my current circumstance, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying two things can happen to me, church in Philippi. I might see you again someday. I might be able to preach the gospel again in your city someday. Or the, the Roman rulers that have held me captive, they might put me to death pretty soon and I might go be with Jesus. And it's funny that we have these two contrasts in the one book of Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul is talking about what it's like to live like with uncertainty in his life. 
about serious things that are happening. And then verse 13 uh, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what do you mean, Paul? I can do all things. And I think sometimes the place that we fall into error with this verse is that this verse can be twisted and used like a prosperity gospel verse uh, within Christian culture here today. Would you agree? Now, there's, I, that might be a term that you're not familiar with, but basically the pr- prosperity gospel is uh, something that a church like ours would say. We don't like the prosperity gospel because churches sometimes and preachers sometimes, even Paul talks about people who are preaching the gospel for their own personal gain. They're trying to get rich. They're, you know, we, we're like, oh, we don't like these people because they're making such a bad name for Christians, all of this stuff. But I would argue <laughs> that The Western church, in ways that we don't realize sometimes, we are actually a prosperity gospel church sometimes as well, is that we think that if we come to Christ and if we know him and if we follow him, that things are going to get better and better and better and better. And while, it no, while we might be doing a good job to say, okay, yep, the point of church isn't to make the people up the front rich, that's great. The point of coming to church isn't to make you financially rich. Sometimes in the undercurrents of what we've communicated uh, in the Western church in the last 30 years is this thing of if you follow Christ, your life is going to be great. Do you think that? I certainly thought that growing up. I certainly thought that if my life, if I was doing things according to Christ, that if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I can take my exam on Wednesday morning through Christ who strengthens me. I can, oh, I can't. There's a long list and I would, I would go on, but uh, the exam was the main thing. I haven't taken an exam in quite a long time because uh, I don't like them and I fear them. Um, but I remember hating them. But the... The point of applying that verse to something like an exam is not, I think you would agree as we think about this a little bit more and go a little bit deeper for ourselves, and you probably arrived there yourself, is that the point of saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is not to say, I'm going to take the exam and I'm going to ace it. It's, I can take the exam. I can, I can get through it. And I can get to the thing that's waiting to me on the other side. And yes, I believe that, you know, God is there, God comforts, he guides, he secures us, but he's probably not passing exams for us. Um, Could you imagine if you had a doctor one time and the Lord had passed his medical exam for him and now you were left with the doctor after that? I I wouldn't like that doctor. I'd be like, give me a doctor who's, who's really passed. The way I'm thinking of that is because although Camilla is uh, in with the kids here this morning and I'm, I'm going to steal something from her testimony, we've shared little bits about it before, is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is less about getting the thing that we want, right? It's not about getting the thing that we want. We realize that, and if we get on on the same mind frame that Paul constantly preaches from, it's actually Paul is all about what? He's all about advancing God's kingdom. So when he says, if I, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he's basically saying, I can do all the things that God is calling me to through Christ who strengthens me. Do you agree? Because he's in jail. And in chapter one, he was saying, I'm in jail and I don't know if I'm going to come out as a dead man or as a free man. 
And he presents chapter one like, okay, in this way it could be good in this way, in this way it could be good in another way. Some of us could be saying, Paul, where is your faith? You should name it and claim it. You should break out of these chains and all that other stuff. And I don't want to rag on other teachings. There are some good things out there um, from, from those things and having faith for things when God has given that, us the ability to have that faith for that thing. But it's not just we can have whatever we want. In pre- preparation for this, I was just reminded of, the again, the road that me and Camilla walked. I think, uh, sneaky side note, as we, as we sort of lead the church, we're going to work in some stories about our lives so you can get to know us. Um, yeah, woo, my life, woo. Um, but basically, before I met Camilla, um, she was sick when she was a kid for, for a while. And so she had ex- this experience of um, the amazing, amazing medical system in Canada that, uh, that is available for, for children. And uh, she told me when we first met that she already knew that uh, God, what God had called her into for the rest of her life. So I was like, okay, sweet, this is, this is great. And uh, she felt God call her from about the age of seven that she would be a nurse. Uh, as, a, as a child in the, in the medical system, that God had just put something inside her um, that, that she wanted to walk into and do that thing. So you would think in that sense, you know, my, my wife is a smart woman. Uh, she's a determined woman. She's a great nurse if you, she's been your nurse. Um, I hope. Sometimes she's not a great nurse to me, but that's because we're married and uh, there's different dynamics there, I'm sure. But, um, but you think it would be easy. You would think, okay, Camilla, she has a call to be a nurse. It was just one of those things that was, you know, built in, confirmed. She just knew in her heart that I'm, I'm called to become a nurse. And she could tell this story a lot, a lot more. So you would think after we were married, when she was 20, that she should have got right into the VIU nursing program, uh, studied for four years, and then been a nurse, right? That's what you would have thought. That's what you would have thought by saying, okay, God's calling to me to be a nurse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, Therefore, I will get into the nursing program because he has called me to be a nurse. And I want to say, no. (laughs) Actually, Camilla's journey of becoming a nurse ended last year in 2021. This has been a long journey I was going to fit another word in there. This, is going to be a, this has been a long journey of what God has been called about in her life. So when we first met, she, you know, she, she didn't get in because the requirements were like straight A's to become a nurse. And she didn't have straight A's. So she upgraded courses. Uh, she worked in coffee shops. Then she worked in surf shops. Um, and then she kept getting no from VIU. Even though the courses have been upgraded, they're like, yeah, you now have the requirements to become a nurse. But there's so many people who want to become a nurse that you can't become a nurse. So like, huh, okay, that's not too great. And apparently, I think Canada should have re thought that about 10 years ago uh, for the amount of of nurses that we need now. Anyway, um, so she became, she decided to continue to to walk down this thing. So she said, Ashley, okay, I'm going to become the best thing that I can be according to that calling right now. I'm going to become a care aid. Uh, So care aids, they do the the hard work in nursing homes. If If you are a care aid or if you work with care aids, you know the amazing work that these people do, the very hard work. So she became a care aid for a number of years, uh, kept getting declined by VIU because it was so competitive getting in there. Um, and then she did, then this opportunity, we, we saw Sprotshaw Community College. And we're like, okay, maybe this is the way that we can become a nurse because I don't want to be a care aid for the rest of my life. I feel like God is calling me to, to more, to more um, 
acute healthcare, but if I take a one-year course, I can upgrade that and I can become an LPN. So an LPN is a type of nurse that isn't a, a, a capital N big-time big nurse. I don't know how to explain it. There's a registered nurse and there's an LPN nurse. So there's basically a, a degree nurse and a diploma nurse. So she became a diploma, di diploma nurse. She entered that through. Uh, it wasn't the best place to study and learn, and she did it. And then Right after that, she, she got to work in the hospital. She got the, the job. She always felt called to, to being in the emergency room at the hospital. That's what God had put her in the heart. So she got the closest department that she could be uh, at the hospital called RADU, the closest department to the hospital that, that she could work as an LPN. And then, man, VIU came up with a bridging program. And that was awesome because we were like, wow, we could, we could finally do it. And actually, they came up with a bridging program because my wife kept bugging them about a bridging program. If you know anything about Camilla, she is determined and stubborn for all the right reasons. Um, it's amazing. And then, after a couple years, the VIU got their act together and said, yeah, we're going to make this bridging program. Yeah, we, we can get you in. We can bridge you into year two because you've already done all this work and you're an LPN. And then they called and said this call basically happened right as we had decided to start having a family. <laughs> oh, And then I remember where we were sitting, and we were deciding between trying to have our first child, Zion's glad with the outcome, by the way, um, or her fulfilling that call that she knows, that she knows, that she knows is on her life to becoming a nurse. Man, sometimes even walking out the call on our lives it's cloudy. It's gray. It's not always black and white. It's like, I know that you've called me to be a nurse, but I know that you've put it in our hearts for this time to start having a family. So, in obedience with the biggest call that was on our life right now, we decided to start a family. And then we decided to have another baby as well, because we're like, okay, we're having one. What's two? Easy peasy, right? Not quite so. But uh, anyway, no, our kids, were, our kids were pretty good. And then when Camilla was nine months pregnant with our second child, Ellie, um, she gets a call from VIU. And they're like, hey, remember that bridging program that you declined about? It's like, we, we, we have a spot for you, and we want you to take it. So my wife is nine months pregnant, about to have Ellie, and the ridiculous thing is, is she said, yes, I want to do that. I literally, I'm not joking, I thought she was kidding for three days. And it was only on the fourth day where I realized that she had paid the fees to go to school. And I'm like, I thought you were joking. I thought you was like, ha ha, how silly is this? <laughs> My point is that you can have a call in your life. And she's now a graduated nurse, um, although we're having another baby, so she's not an emerge anymore. Sorry uh, for the lack of nurses. But my point is that what it means to live out the calling of God on our lives and what it means to do, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, does not always mean the path is going to be easy. Would you agree? And what I want to remind you of here this morning, the reason why we bring this up is because there are significant callings of Christ on you in this room that have been put on a shelf. That we need to remind ourselves. Lucky for us, we had VIU calling, calling and saying, hey, do you want to do it? Because we had honestly put that on the shelf. 
we had gone into a, a, our new calling, our different calling for that season. But as VIU picked up the phone and called Camilla, she knew in her heart that God was picking up that calling back again into nursing. And in our best intentions, we could say, why, God, why did you do it like this? Why did you send my wife on a, like a decade-long walkabout to, to, to walk into the calling that she eventually got? I don't know why. I know for us, when we talk about it, we wouldn't actually do it any other way because of all the people, all the things that happened to us along that way. I mean, maybe awesome things would have happened if she you know, got it right away as well. But honestly, we wouldn't change a thing about our lives because of what God has done. So when the Apostle Paul says, and we read that verse, says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to paraphrase it and say, I can do all things that Christ has called me to do. Because Christ gives me the power to carry out his calling. And I want to say, church, never put it down. Remind yourself. Write it down. Even if you're in a season of wandering right now, God is going to bring you back to those things if he is truly calling to you, calling it out of you. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what I want to say here, from the last two words that the writer uses here, through him who strengthens me. Some of you are waiting on a calling on your life. And I want to say that God has real strength to get you to it. The strength that God is talking about here, the strength that Isaiah was talking about there, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, it's a real substantial strength. It's not a, like an itty-bitty mouse prayer strength. It's actual strength to get you through. And I believe that one of the things that God wants to highlight here this morning as well is for people who are going through hard times, for people who are, you know, dissatisfied with the current status quo in their life and all these other things, that God actually has real strength available. (laughs) He's a God who wants to strengthen. He's a God who wants to build. And he's a God who wants to release people into their calling. There's a popular phrase in our society as we we get back to this thing of looking at what it means to be content. There's a popular phrase within our society as, is your glass half empty or half full? Wes, what's your glass? Half empty or half full? It's full. Oh, wait, it's not half empty. No, it's half empty or half full, but you said it's full. Or it's half full. See, Wes had a way more spiritual answer. His, His glass isn't half empty or half full. It's full. Amen, Wes. Wes has already got to the end of the preach. This is perfect. (laughs) The trouble with our society is not if you're a pessimist or an optimist. And God often puts us together in team, pessimists and optimists. The trouble with our society sometimes is that not is the glass half empty or is the glass half full, but the problem is the glass keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In my car, we, we drive a car now because we were driving a, a death trap before the kids were born, and uh, I actually had to park my car like 50 meters away from the church because it smelled like gasoline, because uh, I didn't, and someone would come into the church and be like, do you smell gas? I'm like, no, I don't smell gas. <laughs> It was very irresponsible before I had kids, so we bought a safe car uh, once we had kids. And uh, it's a car that has a trunk that opens and closes by itself. I hate it. I hate it. 
Because to me, it's the epitome of the class keeps getting bigger of what we need to add to cars to make them function, right? There's minivans out there that have built-in vacuum cleaners now. And secretly, as a parent, like, as, as I one day want a minivan, I'm like, oh, I'd really like the one with the built-in vacuum cleaner. That would be great. Who has it? No, don't put your hand up. We'll all, we'll all try and steal it from you. But since the baby boomers, since the Second World War, we have been living in an unprecedented time of human economic flourishing and progress. And it's only since sort of the, the outcome of COVID and the, the different things that are happening around the world that we're realizing, wow, actually, the, the human flourishing, the economic human flourishing that we've experienced over the last 50 years might not continue forever. The cup over the last 50 years has kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've been saying it's half empty or half full, not because we've got the same amount of thing in our cup that, we did, that they did 100 years ago, but because the cup keeps getting bigger. It still looks half empty, half full as we compare our lives to the world around us. Jesus says, says this about the topic of possessions and treasure. He says, Luke 12, verse 15, he says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Abundance of possessions, now me talking, not Jesus. Abundance of possessions is at the very core of how the world grades us, as how we experience life. Covetedness is actually the very way our economic system works. Actually, because you've got the car that now opens and closes by itself, I need the car that now opens and closes by itself. I need to feel validated. I need to feel worth. But in Luke, further on, when Jesus is still speaking about this topic in, in verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." There's some of us in the room here today who are going through hard times, who are like, man, I don't have any possessions. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm just trying to make it day by day by day. For you, the first half of the preach. But for the rest of us who are actually, as we consider how we rank uh, uh, to the world around us, to the, to, the, to the churches around the world, right, we realize that percentage-wise, we're in a very slim margin at the very top of the pile. We realize that as it comes, there comes to this topic of being content, we need to know how much we have accepted of what the world has prescribed to us in this way. Our ability to be generous when we ourselves are not needy reveals our heart. Giving does something to the believer's heart. I remember the first time, I, don't, I remember it actually as I was thinking about the preach and the, the bags were going around for the, for the tithe and the bags aren't very full these days because most of you give online. So if that's a question, we just do it. We, we pass around because it's part of our worship and things like that. But giving does something to the human heart. I remember the first time I tithed when it wasn't easy to tithe, when it, when it actually made sense to, to keep the money for myself because I, I needed the thing. But it does something to the human heart when we say, I'm going to sacrifice that for this, or when we give something, maybe not to the church, but somebody else in needs, it does something to us. And God wants to encourage us 
that we need to be content in him. Paul was content. Why? You may have already said it. But Paul was content because he knew his calling and he knew his God. And the therefore on his life was therefore nothing else matters. Three shipwrecks, doesn't matter. Prison, doesn't matter. Because I'm fulfilling out what God has called me to do. To live, doesn't, to live or die, in a sense, doesn't matter. Because whatever it is, God's in control. That's what he's saying. And Paul could be content because he knew his calling. But the issue for us, some of us here today, is actually you can't be content in Christ unless you know what you're called to. Because a Christian without calling is just living in the warm, fuzzy feelings of the scriptures that get poured out to us, right, sometimes? A Christian who doesn't know their calling can't be content because they don't know the purpose that they've been called to in Christ, and I want to edify you this morning. The things that God is calling us to be content in are the things that can never be taken away, the things that can never be destroyed by the enemy because they are in his hands. Martin Luther says, I have held in my hands many things and I have lost all of them. But whatever I have placed in God's hand, that I still possess. And that, again, echoes what Jesus was saying about lay up your treasure in heaven. Are we a content church? Yeah. Hallelujah. Mm. 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 Maybe. Uh. It's not a very appealing thing to be content, is it? We don't aspire to be, you know, they're not the people who are plastered on the billboards around us, the people who are very content. And I want to say, there's actually a good thing there as well. Because while Paul was content with what he has in this world, he was extremely uncontent with what the world had, had already experienced about Christ. Did that make any sense? Basically, what I'm saying is when it came to the mission of God, Paul wanted more. <laughs> he wanted everything. He wanted every soul. He wanted every believer. He wanted to spend every ounce. That's why he was saying, I am not in need because what I have for the kingdom, I have every ounce of it because I trust that God has given it to me. And church, we need to be content Christians, not to be nice, warm, happy Christians who are, who are more generous in this life. Yes, that's part of it. But we need to be content Christians. We need to be a content church so that we can get on with the mission of God. Amen? A church that isn't content in this world is a church that is distracted trying to fill our pockets and fill our glasses full with the things of this world. And I would say I am challenged as much as any of you, because the, the eight-year-old boy who used to peel open the Argos catalog and look through all the things still exists within inside of me. I think I found one one time when I went back to see my parents and I found an old Argos catalog and I immediately opened it up and was like, wow, look at all the things. Man, that is within me, idolatry within me, the, the, the temptation to, to do well in this life, to have a nice house, to have a nice car, to have a respectable job, to earn a good income so we could 
get what we deserve in a sense. Church, we need to put that down and we need to pick up the discontent of what kingdom looks like in Nanaimo, right? That's where we are. That's the vision for us here this morning. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to hunger. And I do recognize that within this congregation here this morning, there are people who are low and are hungry and are who are in need. I want to say that your needs are serious. Most of the time when Paul was talking here, he was talking about the physical possessions. Some of us are low with so many other things that have gone wrong in our lives. Maybe we've suffered a loss uh, recently. Maybe we're suffering with our, our bodies or something like that. We want to pray with you. We want to see healing in your life, and we want to see God provide in that area. But the big take-home for ourselves as well, if, even if we're in that season, is that some of us are defining, and going back to the beginning, some of us have been defined by the need that we've seen in our life. The trick here with, I believe, Paul's teaching is that, okay, if that need was never to be fixed, could you, could you still be satisfied in Christ? And there are some needs in our lives, and even me and Camilla have to walk this out as we look at needs in our own lives. There are needs in our lives that at certain points become bigger than our satisfaction in Jesus. And Jesus, God wants to put that down. And at first, I think the first thing he wants to ask us is this, if that need never was fulfilled, if that thing never happened, could you be happy in me? Could you be happy in my presence? Could you be happy knowing that, actually, I'm going to bring about the call in your life, no matter if it's a hard or a simple journey, I'm going to still do the thing. And that's some of the challenge that I want to leave, leave with you here today. Could we be satisfied in God if that never got filled? But at the same time, as the final word, and Wes, I'll let you land the meeting where you want to. Um, Isaiah 40, again, turning to Isaiah from verse 29. He says, He gives strength to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Oh, sorry, he gives power to the faint, and he who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Church, all of us are on this tension line somewhere. We're either in need, we're either in tremendous need, or we're either in like half cup, full, half empty, okay, or we're in abundance. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to land with, I believe here, is pointing us back to the kingdom, back to say, actually, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I am all about God's kingdom. And that is where I'm going to find my satisfied. Indeed, I'm already fully satisfied in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Thank you, church.